G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au I remember sitting in the Central Baptist Church in Kiev, our first Sunday, looking around. It was a large church. All the windows, they were double glazed. It's two planes of glass. And I knew it would get cold. But to be in that context and the singing, the preaching, all in a foreign language, I didn't understand a word whatsoever. And it was just all mishmash. And I thought, wow, it's, how are we going to manage? Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, Ray Bussatil was born in Malta and immigrated to Australia when he was four years old. Today, we'll hear his story and how he eventually became a missionary to Ukraine shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. Also, he shares insights into some of the challenges that Christians in Ukraine are facing. This conversation with Ray Bussatil was recorded four weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February, 2022. Ray Bussatil, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Thanks. And it's uh, good to be here with you. Glad to have you with us. And first of all, with all that's happening in Ukraine, I just want to ask you, do you still know people there? And how are they doing? Yeah, we do, Eric. Um, our children who are in their 30s now keep in touch with their childhood friends who are mm-hmm. also adults, as well as I keep in touch with a handful of former colleagues. It has been 15 years since we've been there, uh, serving there and living But, you know, when you connect with people, and I suppose as missionaries you devote yourselves, you give yourselves, and you ask the Lord for a real love for the people, they just stick. They become like family, Mm -hmm. some dear ones. Mm -hmm. And so, and praise the Lord through the means of social media and emails and so forth and Zoom. Nowadays it becomes far more accessible to keep in touch with them. Um, Having said that, it is pretty traumatic Hmm. what they're going through. Everything's being defined, I would say now, by pre-war, post-war, or the the war that started in a very different scale on the 24th of February. So life before the 24th of February and life immediately after is a, a defining moment in Ukrainian life and ministry as such. Okay, so the war started 24th of February, 2022. You and I are recording this conversation about four weeks later. Yeah. And yeah, it's just very sad to see all the bombing and all that's going on on the TV screens day after day. But you actually know these aren't just, you know, random people. These are people who you ministered with for several years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And the difference it makes for us, I mean, we're a long way away. We're here in Australia. However... When you do, when you've been to those cities, when you've been on those streets, when you've lived in those apartment blocks, mm-hmm. yeah. when you can actually read updates with some of your friends, when they text you, um, you're just connected. You can't isolate or say it's their 
issue, their circumstance, their problems. And then actually the other extent of it or dimension is when you hear their voice. When they uh, leave voicemail or FaceTime, you can see the context, you can hear the emotion of their voice, and it's just heart-wrenching. Mm. The total way in which their lives have um, been turned upside down, their world, and you know, no one saw it coming. For the first two or three days, Ukrainians were in disbelief that they would be attacked by Russia to mm. that extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously now, as we said, four weeks down the track, uh, reality is hit in the midst of uh, turmoil, suffering, fear, uncertainty. Mm. So, well, yeah, pretty sad. we will get back to talking about the current situation in Ukraine in just a bit. But first, let's find out about your story and what led you to becoming a missionary in Ukraine. You were born in Malta. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. People often ask me, oh, we you're Ukrainian, are you? And I said, actually, no. I uh, was born in Malta, and as many people in the early 60s uh, did, we immigrated to Australia. I came as a young lad of four years old uh, without really any significant recollections of Malta. However, as we grew up here on the East Coast, Australia, uh, Malta existed behind our front door at home. Huh. But as soon as I stepped out of that, you know, you're in New Australia and speaking English, but at home it was very much a Maltese, mini cultural context. So, what was that like? What are some things that are uniquely Malta-esque, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, yeah look, I'm very family orientated. I was the youngest of six kids, and so I don't know how mum and dad did it. Immigrated, all the kids were at school at that stage. And, you know, I remember mum hand making clothes for us. Now, being Maltese also meant that uh, we were Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. So church life, Catholic school was uh, very much a real part of our upbringing. And I think when I look back, I, I appreciate that there is always been in my life an acknowledgement of uh, a Heavenly Father God, mm-hmm. uh, a part of the Gospels and you know certain celebrations through the years. My parents, I would say, that as a family, we would have been reasonably devout mm-hmm. uh, and active Catholics. But as I grew up here uh, in Sydney, um, even though I went to a Catholic school and church every Sunday, um, really very much once you fulfill those obligations, for my experience, uh, once you step out of you know Mass of the Sunday, then you just live like any other young teenage mm. guy's in our locality, mm-hmm. although when I was 12 years old, I was invited to play soccer for an uh, under-12 side team. I didn't know at that stage that the team was actually run by a group called the Boys Brigade, and I thought, well, yeah, why not play soccer? So I started to move along that way. I enjoyed football. Uh, I was invited to the Boys Brigade. I went along and enjoyed the activities. But I recall that one of the interesting parts that stuck out to me, even though every week they would have devotions, is that the leaders uh, lived out their Christian life in a, in a vibrant way, in a way that I really hadn't encountered before. Mm. I was more into um, fulfilling the obligations, and this may surprise you, Eric, mm-hmm. but I'm... 
old enough to remember when mass was in Latin. Oh, you know, we would we would stand up and sit down. We would say the words and not know what we were saying. <laughs> and then there was a big uh, revelation when it became in English mass. Okay, well, I I grew up as a Catholic as well, but it was always in English, so I didn't have the Latin Mass. So that must have been quite an interesting experience. Uh, I just have to ask you, the Boys Brigade, is that a Christian group? Yeah, it's similar to the Boys Scouts, but it's a Christian-run group, and it was with a local Baptist church Mm -hmm. in Sydney as such. But yeah, like I said, they were people that ran it. Yeah, they ran really good activities. It was good to do stuff with the the other lads and go away and play soccer. But there was also... Uh, underpinning it all, this aspect of leading good lives and acknowledging God in your life and and, and praying out loud, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which was uh, a bit unusual. Huh. And so I think gradually the the example of a couple of the leaders in particular really stood out to me. Uh, anyway, and then obviously as I grew older as well as in a teenager, when I was 15, we went away on a youth camp just for a weekend and look, and the situation with me was I was challenged by where do I stand with God? Mm-hmm. Everyone around me thought I was a good guy. You know, I knew the answers, but within my heart, I really didn't know if I was accepted by God, if I was good enough. Mm. And that's when I came to realize the aspect that it's not really about my performance as such, but it's to be in a right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yep. has already been accomplished by Jesus, what he's done, and me to accept that by faith, to acknowledge that I need help, I am a sinner, and to repent, mm-hmm. and to receive what Jesus has done for me. And one of the key verses at that time that still has stayed with me was from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verse 12, where it says that, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. And that's the part that really, I think it just blew my mind. It gave yeah. me a fresh new start in life. And so I was well discipled with an excellent youth group leader, and he nurtured you know, the, the young people and myself as well. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to be well discipled. And But for a long period of time, I was actually attending a Catholic Mass of the morning, of a Sunday in the evening, attending an evangelical church service. Mm-hmm. Crunch point for me came uh, when I was getting ready to get married to my wife, Kathy, mm-hmm. whom I also met at the uh, local church, the Baptist church. And I remember there was an aspect I knew we would get married and we would live our life, our Christian life together and following the evangelical way. But because of the cultural background, it was almost radical to think you could get married anywhere you want in a different church. So I actually went to see the uh, local priest, the Catholic priest, and uh, Mm -hmm. told him our intentions, and he picked up on it. And he said, well, where will you, which church will you guys attend? And I made mention of the evangelical church, and he said, well, what are you doing here then? Why don't you get married in, in that church? <laughs> it was actually a kick up the backside, but it actually was what I needed. Um, look, it's hard to turn, not, and I wasn't turning your back on my heritage, mm, my background, yeah. but there is a overhanging shame 
upon my parents and background that's generation upon generation back. Yeah. But yet, you know, I, I knew I needed to walk the course of our own life and in our own faith journey as mm-hmm. well. So that bit of the kick in the backside was actually good yeah. because yeah. it made my wife and I start a, a new chapter together along that way. Our guest today is Ray Busatel, who's sharing his life journey and how the Lord led him and his wife to be missionaries in Ukraine. We'll hear more of his story, including his first impressions of Ukraine, when we return right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Skadabo, and our guest today is Ray Busatel, who served as a missionary in Ukraine from 1995 to 2006. Today he's sharing his story and how the Lord led him to leave his comfortable life in Australia to go to a country he knew very little about. Now here's more of my conversation with Ray Busatel. We were blessed. I had a good job that I enjoyed. Kathy was a nurse. Uh, we started to have children, started to have a nice mortgage. And then I hit uh, what I thought was a midlife crisis. I was only 30. (laughs) Kind of early. (laughs) I thought that's halfway through your your working life. And what struck me was I knew we were secure in Christ Jesus. Mm. I knew our eternal security, where we would be one day. We're citizens of heaven. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, the second half of my life, so I thought, how can I use that to honor God or to bless God or to help really other people uh, also come to know Christ and be in right relationship with him? What struck me was, I think it was once every month, we would have a missionary speaker come to the evening service and mm-hmm. speak and share about different needs around the world and what God's doing. And it blew my mind to think there are people in the world today that have got little opportunity or so many haven't had the opportunity not just to respond to the good news of Jesus but to even hear his name. Mm. And I don't know why, From like I said, I was exposed to the gospel for three years before the penny dropped and I responded and you know, gave my heart to Christ. And yet to think there's others that haven't had that opportunity. And mm. so that was a challenge and as that kept coming and challenged our hearts progressively. But, you know, I was able to appease those challenges by thinking, oh, look, I just got to finish this course that I'm doing. Oh, look, we've just got married or we've just Mm. got a child or we've just got a second child. And I think about 30 years old anyways, when we came to a point of realizing, no, we sense God leading us, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to get to the stage of being... (laughs) 60, 70 years old in my life and look back and think, well, I sense you, God, since you were leading us in a different direction, I didn't want to kick myself 
and say, I wish I would have. I wish mm. I would have stepped out and, and, and really trusted you that you do know what is best for my life. So the Lord's obviously tugging your heart, and ultimately you decided to obey and follow the call, but uh, that's kind of scary. I mean, you were comfortable where you were, but you had no idea what to expect, what was coming up. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. We knew it was something, and look, I, you know, you know yourself. <laughs> I knew I'm not cut out to be a church minister here in Australia, but I thought, look, there's something that I could do and to help uh, in some aspect of gospel ministry mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. So the way I am, I actually wrote to two dozen different organizations and missions, and I said, look, this is who we are. Uh, we sense God leading us. Uh, can we be of any use? And probably half didn't respond. Half r- responded and said, well, yeah, we've got these opportunities available. But three of them wrote back and said, look, if you're thinking long-term, that's good, but it would be worthwhile to invest in some further training at Bible college. And we thought, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. So the harder decision for us, for me anyway, was to leave work that I enjoyed. I was uh, started off in the electrical field and became a computer analyst programmer and paid well and I enjoyed it. It's leaving the security of that work and lunging out with three young children oh, wow. and to go to Bible college. At that stage, the kids were one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, they're nice and compact and, <laughs> and close to each other, which yeah. is uh, convenient, fills up the back seat. Um, but when we actually left work and then went to Bible college, we didn't know where that might be. I did a short-term mission trip just by myself up to Papua New Guinea to help mm-hmm. build a house uh, for some missionaries in the one of the islands there. And I thought maybe that might be some area, but when we went to Bible college, we were still very open. And it was during those years, 91, 92, 93, mm-hmm. is when a phenomenal event was taking place in Europe, in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. with the Iron Curtain coming down the Soviet Union collapsing yeah, and uh, a new missionary need uh, came before us when there was a speaker from European Christian Mission came to Bible College and let us know uh, no longer do we need to smuggle Bibles in to Eastern Europe. We need missionaries to go. Yeah, I should just interject here that for people who aren't aware of Soviet history, Soviet Union history, I mean, that was atheistic communism throughout the uh, whole Soviet Union. And so all those countries believing and reading the Bible was not allowed. So as you mentioned, yeah, Bibles had to be smuggled in to there. But now all of a sudden, the Soviet Union collapses, falls down, and then you can go in. Missionaries are needed to tell people about Mm -hmm. the Lord. What a wonderful opportunity. And I take it you learned about that opportunity through that speaker. Yeah, I mean, there was needs in different countries, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. from Romania, Poland, Hungary, Ukraine, Russia. Uh, Ukraine struck us because one of the needs that they had is for small group Bible leaders. Mm-hmm. And I can't play an instrument. I, <laughs> I'm not a beautiful preacher, I, but I love to lead small Bible groups. Yeah. And so that, you know, we asked counsel, we had other people praying for us as well. and. We asked further questions, and 
it just seemed to dovetail that Ukraine uh, would be the place for us. Mind you, we had to look on the map to see <laughs> where is Ukraine. Yeah. And we had never met any Ukrainians before. But when we started to pursue that ro- uh, pathway before we left, you know, God brought people across our path, Ukrainians, that had immigrated here to Australia. And oh, mind you... Are there many? How big is the Ukrainian community in Australia? Well, I'm not too sure about quantity, but you will find in each major city there would be a Slavic evangelical church. Oh, okay. Russian speaking, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a couple of Ukrainian ones. Uh, that's the evangelical church scene is smallish mm-hmm. because a lot of people do integrate into Australian context, but I think it might be in the tens of thousands okay. of former Soviet uh, background people. Mm-hmm. As such, we were fortunate. We met with some uh, Christians that had newly immigrated, and we would just devour time with them. Mind mm-hmm. you, they were really scratching their heads. They couldn't work out why would anyone <laughs> from Australia want to go. And we just came from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were escaping. They were leaving. Yeah. They were well, wait a second. Why are you going that way? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that's kind of like my parents as well when they uh, immigrated to Australia for a better life. Yeah, they couldn't work out why would we, with a young family, want to go and live in Ukraine. But um, whereas normally the movement is the other way to a better life here. Mm-hmm. And they knew what they had left. Mm-hmm. And they sort of uh, warned us as well, especially being foreigners. I mean, one of the scary things was we were told whenever the kids are out, down on the street level playing, don't be with them. Don't take your eyes off them because once people know that you're a foreigner, you become a target. Um, Oh, is that right? Life is is desperate. Unemployment in the 1990s was 60%. And so the harshness of life um, and, you know, the idea that Westerners are are, are better off Mm -hmm. and and we are financially. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, so that uh, you just got to be careful. Fortunately, uh, visually, we fit in. Uh, it's just when we opened our mouth that people would strain their neck and say, <laughs> hang on a sec, you know, where are you from? They haven't heard Russian spoken with an Aussie accent before. Yeah, so you had to learn a new language. <laughs> yeah, well, we arrived there in 1995 mm-hmm. and we flew into Kiev, the capital city, but then within six weeks we were sent down to the south to a mm-hmm. city called Mykolaiv. Mm-hmm. It's between Odessa and Kherson. Mm-hmm. Now, Mykolaiv, you know, is 700,000 people, so it's not a tiny place, and there was only 10 foreigners there. Our family of five were half of all the foreigners. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the others were some other American missionaries. Yeah. The city. But it was just so unusual. I mean to have any foreigners there. So there were no language schools and we met up with a a young Ukrainian lady who mm-hmm. can speak English well and through one-on-one she would teach us the basics of Russian language. I just wanted to ask you your first impressions upon arriving there. Whew. Yeah, just a totally different world. I remember sitting in the Central Baptist Church in Kiev mm-hmm. our first Sunday Looking around, it was a large church, and on all the windows, uh, they were double glazed. It's two planes of glass. Yeah. And I knew it would get cold, 
<laughs> um, well, no, I've never, I never even thought of that beforehand. Really? But to be in that context and um, the singing, the, the preaching, all in a foreign language, I didn't understand a word whatsoever, and it was just all mishmash, and I thought, wow, it's, how are we going to manage? Yeah. When we got to an apartment, um, the stairwells were really grotty and off-putting. Inside, mm. it was basic but clean and tidy. That was nice. Like I said, after six weeks, we were sent down to Mikolaev because mm-hmm. uh, it was a little bit warmer generally. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to look after this young Australian family. I was saying they because we were involved in a ministry called Biblical Education by Extension mm-hmm. in Ukraine. And it was entirely uh, Ukrainians, mm-hmm. uh, except for one Canadian chap who had founded the work. When I say Ukrainians, mind you, that there's it's a mixed, there's staunch uh, pedigree Ukrainians that speak Ukrainian Mm-hmm. and Russian, and mm-hmm. then there are those of Russian descent that speak Russian only and mm-hmm. people that can operate in both languages. But in those days, everything, all scripture or the Bible, advertising, books, was only in Russian. Um, so they sent us down to Mikolaev, which was a totally different world. Again, down there, people that we were working with couldn't speak a word of English, and so it's very awkward sometimes when we invite them around for lunch and we've got a dictionary between us and we try <laughs> to work out yeah, yeah. <laughs> how to communicate. Um, and I remember, too, the very first winter that we had it was an extremely cold one. And so just to see the temperature gaze drop to you know 10 to 5 to 0 to minus 5, minus <laughs> 10. Yeah. And it got down to minus 26 degrees. Oh, wow. Now, first winter, and we just didn't have enough clothes to put on. Oh, wow. Because once you're outside, it, yeah, it's just, it can be quite dangerous as well. So, but anyway, the Lord enabled. Well, that was part one of my conversation with Ray Busitzel, who's sharing about his and his wife's journey to becoming missionaries in Ukraine from 1995 to 2006. As we heard, he and his family still have many contacts there and are very concerned about what's happening in Ukraine. We invite you to join us again next time to hear more of Ray's story and insights into some of the challenges Christians in Ukraine are facing. That's all coming up right here on Real Faith. Until next time, so long and God bless. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.